Hi there, my name is Paddy Butler, and this podcast is brought to you from Liberia, bookshop by Second Home. How we think about mental illness is increasingly related to the twin influences of social media and the often powerful institutions which affect or govern our society. I talked to author of Let Me Not Be Mad, A.K. Benjamin, about systematic institutional failure, which more often ignores this in the face of commercial pressures and the rhetoric of efficiency. And uh, with that in mind, I want to recommend some interesting reading related to this discussion and this important topic, which is, I I guess, ever more prevalent. But um, The Orchid and the Dandelion by W. Thomas Boyce. The author takes an intriguing look at early childhood development. A paediatric health expert, he believes children, broadly speaking, can be separated into two psychological categories, that of the orchid and the dandelion. Orchids being more shy and sensitive in their environment and dandelions, for the most part, more robust. Boyce therefore believes that on the whole, orchids require more nurture in order to develop and succeed and might well struggle to cope with a more stressful upbringing. The other one is Good Reasons for Feeling Bad, Randolph M. Ness. Now, I've recommended this one also before. Um, But one of the interesting arguments central to this book is that our evolution has geared us for a totally different environment to the current complex social worlds we find our modern selves negotiating. And, of course, the complexity of which increases with technology and the increased social pressures. You know, there are other great works out there. The Enigma of Reason by Hugo Mercier and Dan Sverber. The River of Consciousness by the late Oliver Sacks is also absolutely essential reading. And finally, Behave by Robert Zabalski. But now let's go and have a chat with A.K. Benjamin. You know, you can see that the more something specializes it, uh, it's specializes it specializes itself into a corner mm. then the less able uh then the more susceptible it is to a kind of uh, mechanized management consultancy kind of box and arrow mechanical yeah mechanical sort of epistemology with that with a, because you can't because people lose the ability then to sort of uh talk outside of their respective boxes mm. they they get cornered in that way and you know i think of one you know one particularly uh, telling symptom of this is, you know, hospital managers want to categorize uh, p- patients mm. uh, into pathways. It's numerical almost, isn't it? Right. But one massive problem in neurology, particularly neurology, mm. is that there are patients who don't have any de, de facto neurological underpinnings for their symptoms. Okay. So... It can't be reduced. It can't be reduced. And, okay. and so, so that is regarded in management terms as money wasted for a consultation because the neurologist yes. cannot, with his 20 years, find a neuroanatomical location or an explanation. So what happens then is he get, it, it, it gets categorized as medically unexplainable or the patient being awkward mm-hmm. or, or mm-hmm. a psychological problem. Mm-hmm. And what tends to happen is that once that labeling has taken place, mm. those patients are almost guaranteed to become a huge sap on the medicals because they've basically not been heard. Okay. So whether it's a fictitious illness or whether it's mm. an unconscious uh, mm. problem or whether it's just the doctors haven't got a vocabulary for what's happening yet, then that 
that problem is going to grow and grow and grow. And that's, okay. that's, that's largely been um, unresolved and untended to in, in the NHS. And that's the same on the other side, as far as I gather from your book. You know, it seems to be, okay, we're probably facing a, we were probably in the, in the midst of a, a mental health pandemic. And it seems to be resources in the NHS aren't adequate enough to help doctors who are in these high pressure situations or are dealing with these extreme cases or would that be would that be fair to say Richard? i mean that's absolutely the case and i i think even more than that it's not even it is not even a conceptual space that permits for different kinds of mm. uh exhaustion or breakdown mm. within the doctors because they're loaded with uh unrealistic expectations culturally okay. so a lot of it can't i am you know i just Im imagining and uh i mean and speaking to doctor colleagues and friends there's not even a uh, a vocabulary for recognizing symptoms they just right, yeah. carry on okay yeah, yeah. Uh, and maybe maybe may, you know may you, you know this the, the mechanization and the the management of the uh, mm -hmm. the nhs be, are the ways that those things are okay. uh, effectively or ineffectively mm -hmm. managed? If the problem, if the, if the patient's a problem, then don't see them again. Mm -hmm. For yeah, example, it, if the patient's causing you stress, right. then yeah. okay. uh, put it in a different box, give it a different pathway, okay. avoid it. Okay. Um, this is this is related to society. You know, we live in this kind of turbocharged consumer capitalist society as well. That's kind of that is again, I would say, like you know, the rise of the management class. That's it's a it's a broader thing as well, isn't mm. it? It's kind of all it, it kind of goes all the way through our society, doesn't yeah. it? Really? Yeah. Okay. And I and I think even having a conversation about something something called mental health mm. feels like we're uh, participating in a conversation that's been allowed by management class. Yes. Mental health just is is. It's just the newest kind of area, problem area. We don't really know what mental yeah. health means yeah. when we talk about it. Sure. We could we could take a psychi psychiatric uh, framework for it, and that would that would cover it up to mm. a point. But often, what we're talking about with mental health is much kind of uh, less determinate, okay. uh, uh, more uns even more unsettling than the kind of scaremongering that goes on around it. Yeah. Okay, a broad tag just right. to to even. To monetize it, even. Well, look, we've got fantastic news. We've got a new problem. It's called the mental health yeah. epidemic. Yeah, yeah. And let's sell, I, I suppose, Big Pharma is the, is the big beneficiary of this. In the sense of, like, again, going back to that kind of, in terms of, like, commercial drugs and... Yeah, and that, I mean, I haven't worked in the NHS now for a, mm. for a few years, but it, 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 over the last, say, five or ten years... Uh, of 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 working in a London hospital, the overlapping with uh, privatization, you know, so, sort of yes. implicit privatization, yeah. the increasing prevalence of pharmacological representatives in the corridors oh, really? of neurology. Okay. Yeah. Uh, That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, we doctors were doctors were finding ways of running two careers, mm. two parallel careers, uh, 
simultaneously okay. with the same patients, right. moving them between different uh, pathways in order to, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't go too far. Okay. That, yeah. <laughs> um, in your book, you're talking, I'm just going to quote actually from the book, if I may. Um, for a certain, you, you talk about a, a particular case of, I, I guess, you talk about it in relation to childhood trauma. And there is, you talk about it like for a certain generation of middle-aged men, Yorkshire Ripper fantasies are about a diagnostic idiom in their own right. Um, could we could we talk about that a little? I, I'd never heard of this, it's, but it's quite, I mean, it's quite fascinating, quite scary, but also quite fascinating. I mean, it's, it's slightly tongue in cheek, but okay. I, I grew up in the north of England at the time um, uh, that the Ripper was at large. Okay. And, you know, at, you know, at a certain age, you need uh, uh, a character, a figure okay. to uh, represent, you know, the terrifying aspects of, of your, the of, unknown yeah, in the adult okay. world. Right. So there were... We were we were in the middle of, and we were in the middle of a very real psychodrama where women were getting mm. murdered in horrific ways, mm -hmm. and it was obvious to everyone that the police were, okay. uh, you know, nowhere near catching them. Yeah. And my father was, along with many men, was stopped and questioned on an, two occasions okay. by the police. And you know that open. You know, I didn't have a particularly close relationship with my father, so it opened up a kind of possibility uh, and accentuated the distance between us. That you yeah, know, this okay. man had been, and he wasn't getting on well with his wife. You know, what yeah. the fuck? And he, my father liked going out for a run, yeah. very very yeah. early yeah. in the morning and yeah. late at night, and would come home drenched, <laughs> covered in sweat. So now that's so that's a, sort of a, a very bi um, biographical level, but. Uh, autobiographical level, but there is, um, there's a really, there's a, there's a psychoanalytic writer from the British School of Object Relations called Christopher Bolas, okay. who has written a chapter on um, how uh, how the Yorkshire Ripper in particular, but after the the original Ripper in the mm. East End, just came to characterise something about the national psyche and functioned okay. as a kind of limit and an endpoint for what mm. people's imaginations were capable of. And, mm. and there's all sorts of kind of interesting psychoanalytic negotiations that take place at these margins about mm. what, what we are and aren't capable of admitting to ourselves mm -hmm. about human capacities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember, you know, when the Ripper went on trial, all, you know, the liberal adults who surrounded me uh, were saying, and it, saying, there is no way this man can be tried for murder, and that they, re they weren't they weren't lawyers. But the idea was that how can someone do that and be in full, uh, fully cognizant of their capacities? Right. So how can they yeah. not have a diminished responsibility? So that then the, you know the sort of the, the aftershock of that is that well we can't to we we can't tolerate the mad we need madness as a category yeah but we can't if madness uh, behaves itself behaves according to its nature we can't not 
cover it within our legal structure. So to have diminished responsibility means that we're making, we're, we're letting these mad people off. We have to give them, uh, you know, that, so that, dis, that distinction then became a sort of political um, contradiction. Okay. How do you mean by political contradiction? Well, it was necessary to give the people blood. It was necessary. Right. Once the okay. Ripper was yeah, caught, yeah. we couldn't give him diminished responsibility yeah. right. and right. 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 Uh, give him psychiatric care for his condition. He had to be, um, okay. he had to be put in, uh, you know, he had to be tagged a murderer. Okay. Um, and that, okay, well, also within the book, you, you there are other references to childhood trauma. And I think you kind of, I think you're quite interested in that specific stage of development in relation to in individuals. You see this as a as a quite a critical stage, don't you? I think. I mean, there's a lot in there's a lot in sort of <laughs> developmental psychology and in developmental neuroscience that um, that bears up taking a huge and disproportionate interest in those early years okay. in terms of um, brain formation and uh, you know individual regulation okay but just in relation to okay well in relation to like uh, relationships yeah mother father so, child i mean i certainly became very interested in the way that mm. early attachment relations mm. map onto adult uh, psychopathology okay yeah and there's a there's a big literature on that now because okay. um, you have an interesting th i mean you even call it a theory yourself you know, I think you describe it as, you know, um, a child displays anger, maybe displaying that over and over again is a response to an inconsistent response from uh, of love from from a mother. Right. So um, as in a prediction of. So if so, so, you know, one approach to this is to understand uh, children's behavior as an attempt to make the environment as predictable, predictable as possible. As possible yeah. yeah, and unpredictability. You know, th there is there. Is, th I, I think it's uh, Patricia Hainsworth. She talks about how children who've who've got a de facto terrible attachment to their parents, mm. where even if even if there's horrible things happening, if those horrible things are predictable, then those children do prognostically do better in the long term as adults in terms of really adjusting okay. than ones that have uh, inconsistent okay. uh, inconsistent parental response to uh, to um, ch the, the child's need mm. and so so what you may get in those children you know what I imagine in the book is um, how children unconsciously will then, sort of lose the exchange rate of feeling and behavior and amplify it if it's not okay. predictable in order to try and secure uh, predictability mm. from the parents. So they become unconscious actor. And there's a big theme in the book about mm. theater and, uh, and acting. Mm. So children are, those children are forced into a kind of performance mm. of their feeling, which, may, which becomes inflationary. And as, okay. the, as the unpredictability ramifies, the performance has to grow increasingly operatic. Mm. So when you then meet anger in that child mm. as an adult, mm. Mm. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's no actual relationship between the, the, feel, the currency of the feeling okay. and uh, the display. Okay. Do you think, so is it, has it changed that relation, that predictability, you know, that use or trying to manipulate 
what's coming down the track? Is there a change then in how the adult? Well, it's a, as a ch- you know, as a child, you're in you know, it, you're, it's not a monologue, but it's a tiny theatre with okay. a, an audience of yeah. two or one, and th- then. Then you're in a kind of open air. As open, an adult, you're yeah, open yeah, air. Yeah. You don't know who's the audience. You don't know. You, you're pretty sure that no one's ever going to yeah. listen. It's quite random. And you can shout in the middle of Hyde Park as yeah. loud as you like and say what you like. And you, maybe the only attention you'll get is from the police. Okay. The last thing I wanted to ask you, if, if I can, um, you, you tell a story in the book related to your daughter who... who as an accident and there's a you're rushing her to the hospital and you're discussing with the doctor whether you know it would be appropriate to have her head scanned because she's hit her head and or you think she might have hit her head or it, it could, you, you're kind of postulating that it might be something something else altogether you know tumor and there's this terminology that you use which is kind of interesting false positives and false negatives could you could you talk about that a little bit in relation to that conversation that you're having with that doctor regarding your kid and i guess the kind of the sometimes displacement that you we all feel in those situations where you know again going back to that whole relationship between individual and doctor yeah uh so yeah so this was a this was um, the, the, this was like a, the, the meeting of two different medical worlds. On, on the one hand, a sort of local A&E department where a pediatrician will be used to seeing um, a, a range of presentations and will be an expert at spotting uh, real from false diagnosis. Mm. And at the same time, working at that moment in... Uh, ultra-rarefied specialist national hospital where the pediatrician there, or in, in, in this case, the neurosurgeon, neurosurgeon yeah, will surgeon, yeah. be seeing extremely rare um, presentations. So those two doctors presented with the same symptoms, uh, uh, they, they would, they will have a, you know, have a different data set mm. algorithmically that they'll use to diagnose. It's not that they they will necessarily be at odds because mo- more than likely they'll they'll make the same diagnosis. But it's possible that different biases, given the different samples, that different concerns, to, essentially, right. and extreme concerns, as right. you say, rarefied. So, so in, and in both cases, there's these there's 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 two possible errors. They can either uh, fail to diagnose someone who's got a real condition and send that patient away, saying that they're healthy, which would be a false negative, mm. or they can uh, uh, do, do the opposite. They can diagnose someone mm. with something when there's nothing wrong with them whatsoever, which mm. is a false positive. I think I've got that, mm-hmm. those, covered, those two covered. And, you know, biographically, I happened to find myself in a situation that was uh, in the interstice, the interface of those yes. two things. So, you know, it's, it's pretty common these days for people to go and see a doctor uh, and have one diagnosis, and then go and ask for a second diagnosis, and for, the, for there to be no uh, for, for that second diagnosis to contradict them. Mm. But in this particular instance, that I was moving between these two worlds, and just utterly clueless about you mm. know, bo- I, I could see that both doctors were super competent, but they had 
diametrically opposite experiences based on their different um, areas uh, of yeah, expertise. Yeah, worldviews yeah. and expertise. And in both cases, there's not much tolerance for a view outside of their own, you yeah. know. Uh, so uh, just it was a very real instance of feeling what it's like to be a patient trapped between unarguable expertise, but which is pointing in completely different directions. And the situation's critical because one's daughter's not conscious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, the way you convey that is extraordinary because as a reader, you're locked into that as well. and. You're 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 also trying to negotiate it as well, and you're you're at one stage you're with the neurosurgeon, and then you're with the pediatrician, and it's this crazy binary extreme, isn't it? Like you know, where <laughs> who are you to trust on this instance? Yeah. You know? and, the, and there's a sort of funny thing is that you know when when you're desperate uh, and you're uh, a patient or a doctor. You have recourse to you try and change the register. Let's move it out of the medical mm. machine, and you look directly in the doctor's mm. eyes and says, "So, what would you do if it was your daughter?" And as though what's about to come out of their mouth is is going to somehow heal the existential ambiguity of the thing, when in fact it can, depending on who it yeah. is that's saying it, just make it worse, make yeah. things worse. Well, it's it's funny, like because by the end of it, I was side well, actually halfway through it i was siding with the 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 pedi with the neuroscience uh, surgeon sorry i yeah. was siding with the neurosurgeon yeah and i was quite against the pediatrician yeah why why is that do you think why was i convinced that the pediatrician was out of his depth well because if you make you know if if you if you if you subscribe to the idea that unconsciously we're all kind of terrified of death, mm. then in some sort of perverse way, the worst news, the worse the news it is, the better. So that's one thing. We all mm -hmm. carry around this secret wish yeah. for things to be as bad as possible because it, it corroborates that thing. Secondly, if we, if we agree that specialization is uh, what we're going to invest in, then the more specialized, then the more truth. Mm. So a neurosurgeon trumps a pediatrician. Right, right. A, a national hospital. Right. You know, I'm uh, but, uh, operating but, on the King of Siam's daughter tomorrow. Yeah. I'm being flown over there. Yeah, sure. I think you can trust me. Right. Yeah. Um, but the the if 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 I remember correctly, the pediatrician he advises totally against the MRI scan at that for 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 the child as possibly damaging. No. Well, in or did I get that wrong? Uh, well, there no, there is a literature on mm. uh, reluctance to. Uh, to scan kids under a certain age okay. for different reasons. Okay. And, it's, and it's not, uh, increasingly I think there's tolerance of it, but at the time there was, there was, there was a real concern about, um, you know, just a concern in terms of error rates, keeping kids still in MRI scanners, but also concern about the levels of radiation in a, okay. in a really young yeah. brain. You know, if if I'm a pediatrician working at a, 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 a local hospital, and I'm pretty confident statistically mm -hmm. that what I'm seeing mm -hmm. is not neurological, it's just a one-off thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it will have you know will have a systemic, uh, local viral feverish underpinning. Then, I'm, why waste a thousand pounds on a scan that's uh, potentially going to be ambiguous in its results right. and is going to just make uh, the parents worry more and more. Mm, right. Okay. 
It's fast. That's that was a fascinating. Yeah, and you know this. Story. I mean, and terrifying for you, no doubt. Terrifying, ter- uh, terrifying at the time. Although it's not uh, what happened to me is different from what happened in the book. Okay. The title of your book, the title "Let Me Not Be Mad." There's Shakespeare in there, isn't there? So it comes in. Uh, again, it's. I mean, Lear is the sort of archetypal uh, um, baby that has turned the uh, volume up on his anger to such an extent that no one can hear. And this comes at the moment where you're not, you're not really sure whether he's meaning insanity here or anger, mm. you know, those double, double meanings of anger. But he's, he's just had the final straw from his disobedient daughters yeah. uh, who yeah. denied him his retinue. Yeah. And he sees that the heath is calling him and that the storm is brewing. Yeah. And he knows he's going to really... <laughs> Fly yeah, off, really, really angry, and it's and it's just what's amazing is yeah. that you know that that anger is going to carry him all the way into full blown psychosis, that he's going to lose, yeah. yeah that any the, the the idea of exaggerating is then lost. You know, you lose control of the volume altogether, mm-hmm. and then you're you know you're on a you're cannonball to a different realm. Because it, it also in in a funny sort of way, let me not be mad. Also echoes for me another quote from Shakespeare from Iago in Othello, which is, I am not what I am, which is also quite interesting in in, in relation to to your book. But that's just something that I read into it. I thought it was quite interesting. Yeah, that I'm... The, because it's got uh, its heart again. It's got that sort of uh, the the life as a performance of sorts. The life is a, is a yeah, life is a performance, uh, a construct. Um, also goes through very, I I guess very different, very many, very um, fissile uh, guises or, or or different paths. Right. You know? so, so and and that's certainly where the book ends up as exactly. a sort of yeah. with a with a with that sort of um, motif that's comes from neuroscience but originally comes from uh you know hamlet, sort of, <laughs> hamlet but i was gonna say eastern religions that the self is 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 a, is sure. a fiction sure. that it's uh that it's a it's an and perhaps it's an, no more than an epiphenomenon yeah. and yet we obviously we stake ourselves accordingly according to it mm-hmm. brilliant A.K. benjamin thank you so much thank you great to speak with A.K. benjamin and get insight from the other side on considerable matters affecting us all. As always, check out our full cultural events listings at secondhome.io. See you next time.